Hello, my dear friend. Welcome to Bible study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Very happy to be with you today and uh, please stay with us for this hour as we are opening the Bible once more. And today we are going to talk about singing the Lord's song in a strange land. I want to just remind you that you can be part of this program. You can send us a text message with a thought, a comment, maybe a prayer request, and we'll be very happy to take that on board. The number where you can send us a text message, it's 0482-09-8883. Please have this uh, number safe because we'll come uh, later on with the offer which we have for today. I'd like to say hello to our panel. It's good to have with us uh, Brenton. Thank you for joining Thank you, Nick. This is going to be a fascinating study. Joe, it's good to have you too. Thank you, Nick. A pleasure to be here. Hey, Len. Thank you for joining us. Yes. Hello, listeners. And uh, we're glad you've joined us today. Jerry, uh, it's good to have you part of the discussion uh, today. Thank you, Nick. It's a pleasure to be here. Will, thank you for uh, your Preparation for this uh, Bible study. You are going to facilitate this discussion. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick. And it is a good subject. Yes, indeed. Well, the book of Psalms, where we are uh, focusing uh, mostly, it's a wonderful book, which, uh, as I mentioned, even in other programs, uh, many people didn't look into it in this way, you know, to to really studying and uh, draw out some very nice uh, applications for for everyday life. But not only uh, the book of Psalms, it's a wonderful book when you praise God, to pray to God, to thank God, to do all those things. Would you be able to take us through, Will? Certainly, Nick. One of the most famous choruses in the world is in the, the opera Nabucco by Giuseppe Verdi. It is the chorus of the Hebrew slaves, Va Pensiero, translated from the Italian meaning, Flee My Thoughts. The title of the opera, Nabucco, is short for Nebuchadnezzar, and it reflects the despairing cry of the deported Hebrew slaves, now captives in Babylon, after the destruction of Jerusalem, and Solomon's temple, the pride of the Jewish nation. Now here they sit, far from their homeland, with an unutterable homesickness. And Psalm 137 reminds us that their captives approached them, asking these strangers in the land of Babylon to sing some songs of their homeland. Sing us some songs of your homeland, they said. Sing us one of the songs of Zion. Now the captives, the Hebrews, response is interesting. But before we get into that, let's ask the Lord to be with us as we review this and other tough experiences in the book of Psalms. Will you pray for us, Len? Certainly. Would you join us, listeners? Dear Father in heaven, we we thank you for the book of Psalms, which uh, 
outlines the experiences of others and the same experiences that we often have. Yes. Pray today as a panel that we might present your word faithfully, that the Holy Spirit might uh, be with us and with all our listeners today. We invite your blessings on this program and those who hear it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Len. When King Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple and raised Jerusalem, faith in God was severely tested. And I wonder if we could listen to their lament as uh, recorded in Psalm 137. I'd like to ask one of our panel members to read this song. I'm very happy to read this from Psalm chapter 137, verses 1 to 6. It says, By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Thank you, Len. It's a sad situation, mournful situation indeed. I wonder if, uh, Jerry, you could expand on what was, what it was about Jerusalem and their present situation that sparked so much lament from the psalmists. Yes, well, I'd, I'd like to read a few verses from two psalms, uh, the first one being 79, verses 1 to 4. And and uh, it says there, and I'm reading from the clear word paraphrase, it says, O God, the heathen have invaded the country you gave us for an inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have turned Jerusalem into ruins. They have left the dead bodies of your people lying in the streets to rot and in the open field to be eaten by vultures or wild beasts. Blood has run down the streets of Jerusalem like water and drenched the fields like flowing brooks. No one was left to bury the dead. We have become the laughingstock of neighboring neighboring nations, the subject of their jokes and derision. And if I turn to 74, it's much the same, really, um, in the same vein at least, 74 verses 3 to 8. And it says there, Just look at these ruins. Our enemies have ravished these sacred grounds and destroyed everything in the sanctuary. Your enemies have bragged of victory in your holy place. They have planted flags in your territory. They acted like woodsmen cutting down trees, hacking and smashing everything in sight with their axes. They broke up the beautifully carved wood with hatchets and hammers. They sat, they set your house on fire and burned it to the ground. They desecrated the very place where we worship you. They said we will utterly destroy them. So it's almost incomprehensible that uh, this would happen. It's a cry of distress 
that is uttered here. And it's also because of God's honor that uh, these words are expressed. The honor of God's name. The heathen would mock the God of Israel as being inferior to their own gods. The only solution that the psalmist sees is for God to avenge his people and destroy their enemies. So it's a plea for God's intervention. How can this happen? How can, how could the heathen destroy your temple and destroy your people? Please, God, intervene. That's what essentially is being said here. Yes, Jerry. And I think this is the beginning of the questionings. Why do the wicked prosper and uh, the innocent sometimes have to suffer, especially if you believe that you are called by God as a special, um, a special people. Understandably, I think they were asking, how long will God allow suffering? How long will it be before the victory comes over the wicked? How long will the name of God be blasphemed? How long will it, uh, will he not forgive sin? How long will he in fact remain silent? You know, when suffering comes, we often resort to the woe is me syndrome and focus on ourselves. But I've wondered how is God normally viewed in these circumstances? Is there, however, a window here for a different view of God's merciful nature amidst our questionings? What do you think, Len? Yes. I think there's a very different window on both God's side and on the side of whoever's suffering. I don't think God views our suffering pleasantly. I think it hurts God to see what sin has done to his beautiful creation, his beautiful creatures that he's made, us human beings. When Jesus hung on the cross, I think the father wept. And this, is, I think, is God's attitude to us when we suffer. Some people ask the question, well, why doesn't God fix it? Well, I don't know all the answers. In some cases, God does. In other cases, he doesn't. But there's another aspect of this too. Do you know that in our suffering, whether it's from disease or privation of some sort or whatever, God can be honoured. And I think of Job, faithful Job. Here he was, a rich man, deprived of all his wealth, his family, even his health. And he did not curse God. His wife said to him, curse God and die, but he wouldn't. He was faithful to God, and that, to me, honours God. Although we might have reasons to feel pretty unhappy about our situation, we remain faithful to God that honours God. And there's a second thing. There are four things altogether. The second thing is when we are suffering, whatever way it is, when we ask God for help, Lord, help me out of this situation or help me get better. That is honouring God, simply asking for his help. 
Now, there's another aspect, and this is highlighted in the book of Hebrews uh, and other places, that suffering actually helps us grow stronger uh, in our faith, in our uh, beliefs, in our practice. So God is honoured as we grow more like him, and suffering can cause that. And lastly, the fourth thing is here, that in our suffering we become dependent on God. When people have got everything going all right, they don't care about God, or a lot of them don't. I'll read a little quote. When we are prospering, healthy, and everything is going well, it's easy to think, oh, we don't need God. New cars, nice houses, and money in the bank feed this lie. It's when we receive a sentence of death, as Paul calls it, that we see our need for God. Suffering shows us we need God in a way that prosperity never could. So I'll just go through those things again. Suffering, when we remain faithful, that honours God. Asking for God's help, honours him. As we become stronger through the suffering, that honours God. And as we become dependent on him, that honours him. So it has positive aspects, although we may think it's only negative. Not at all. God can be honoured in our suffering, depending on our reactions. Yes, Nick. Yes. Um, you know, the question uh, arises, and uh, is that then uh, okay for a believer, a faithful believer in God, to, uh, to ask these sort of questions? I mean, to say, why God? Why suffering? Or that's not right. Because should we just uh, receive everything and say, okay, yes, that's that's okay? Uh, because it came in my mind the passage, and I was uh, trying to think, um, it, I think it's still in the book of Psalms, where the psalmist raised that question, why the wicked prosper? Yeah. And also saying that those who want to serve you, Lord, even they bones dry. But the wicked one, even their eyes grow in their fat. You know, reasonable questions. But the psalmist says, until I came into the sanctuary. And I believe this is until you really met God. And then you understand why God allows certain things to go in our life. Yeah, and I think we will understand. Len? Yes, Nick initially asked, is it okay for a Christian to question God? The answer is yes. Yes, it is. We, uh, we won't embarrass God with our questions, and we may find the answer to those questions. So I've asked the question, God, why has this happened to me, or why not has something happened to me? But um, God hasn't ceased being faithful to me, to me, and I haven't ceased being faithful to him. That is so true, Len. I'd like to refer back to the lyrics of the slaves in uh, Babylon, already decades away from their homes, all depicted by Verdi's Nabucco. 
And the slaves sit in their captive land and lament. And according to the the opera, they sing, Speed your journey, my thoughts and my longings. Speed your journey to mountain and valley, where the sweet-scented air breathes the fragrance of the homes that we knew long ago. To the waters of Jordan, bear greeting. To the downfallen temple of Zion. O my country, so fair, yet so wretched. O remembrance of joy and of woe. Golden harps of the prophets, O tell me, why so silent you hang from the willow. Once again, sing the songs of our homeland. Sing again the days that are past. We have drunk from the cup of affliction. We have shed bitter tears of repentance. O inspire us, Jehovah, with courage, so that we may endure to the last. Yes, so that we may endure to the last. That's a good prayer for the Christian to pray. But these people of Israel were so self-assured about being the elect of God. Now, it doesn't take them long after that initial feeling of seeming abandonment by God for a new awareness to grow. It was becoming clearer that there were other reasons why God had cut into what they believed to be a secure history and destiny. What do we learn from the Psalms about this? Well, I guess Psalm 79 continues uh, from where Jerry had read. Do not hold against us. Do not hold against us the sins of past generations. May your mercy come quickly to meet us, for we are in desperate need. Help us, God, our Saviour, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and forgive our sins for your name's sake. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Well, there is no denial of sin or actions which led to this woeful situation. There's no denial or questioning God's justice or even his very own existence, as sometimes happens in these situations. No justification, but a desperate plea for deliverance of his people, even though unworthy. Now, as already has been mentioned, their homeland was completely demolished politically, financially, physically. It was in ruins, and what was left was strewn with dead bodies with no one to mourn and bury, but as food for jackals and hyenas and vultures, horrific circumstances. But I believe the psalmist has twofold reason for this. Um, not only did they need rescuing, and he pleads for this, Please for this, but he's also praying that God's name may not be sullied because of their situation. And so he says, not only do we need rescuing, but for your name's sake, we need you to act. We need, need you to avenge the situation. Um, now I think Asaph also mentions this in Psalm 74, 22, where he calls upon God to rise up, O God, and defend your cause. Remember how fools mock you all day long. Do not ignore the clamor of your adversaries, the uproar of your enemies, which rises continually. His feelings, I believe, are also best summed up in Jeremiah's own lament. In Lamentations 1, it says, O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. 
God's honor and esteem among the nations was paramount to both Asaph and Jeremiah. This was the big picture. The small picture was their immediate suffering, but the big picture was God's honor. And in Psalm 79, it concludes on a very positive and thankful theme. In verse 13, it says, Then we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will praise you forever from generation to generation. We will proclaim your praise. So very hopeful words there. Often Nick spoke about uh, the the question of why does even the the innocent person, the person that's trying to do well, why does he suffer? You know, I think all of us listeners and panel alike could identify with the with the people of Israel when they find themselves in a captive place. Think of those captive places life-threatening illness or threatening circumstances, sudden war. Uh, This might all plunge us into an unknown and strange place. I call it a captive place, which could overwhelm us in many ways. In general, the person who loves God and wants to serve him could be expecting to be free from evil, protected by God. But the reality is, as Nick has said, the righteous also suffer, like others. Now, does the book of Psalms give us an angle on this age-old dilemma? I think it's worth spending a little more time just to understand what we can understand on this. Perhaps you can help us, Brenton. I'm going to read, first of all, from Psalm 88, because... Uh, the primary answer for this comes from this particular chapter. O Lord, God of my salvation, I have cried out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to the grave. Interesting will that uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Christ quotes these very words. My soul is full of trouble and... Um, even unto death. He is quoting the words of Psalm 88, which to many people is the most depressing psalm of all the psalms. It's written by Heman the Ezraite. Heman was uh, a worship leader in David's um, group who provided music for the temple, but it's also attributed as being a psalm of David. What is the angle that psalms gives? Len quoted earlier on from Job's experience. Now, in Job's experience, you actually get three chapters, I think it is, of where God talks to Job. But in the Psalms, you have this situation. You have 14 Psalms of complaint. You have 65 Psalms of lament. You have seven Psalms of deliverance and you have seven psalms of forgiveness. This is uh, breaking it down, Will. I find it interesting that at least half of the psalms are dealing with the issue of lament or, or complaint. And the difference, I believe, between Job, even though God doesn't give him a succinct answer, uh, in his discussions with Job, God is pointing out to him that 
I'm all powerful. I made all these things. And where were you when I did all these things? And Job comes to the point where he accepts that whatever he's gone through, God is all powerful and he can change the situation. And of course, we are told in in Job 42 that that's what he does. The other issue in Psalm 88 that I find intriguing is there is no mention of what caused these issues. In fact, the only positive thing out of Psalm 88 is the first couple of verses, Will. O Lord, God of my salvation. (laughs) That's the, (laughs) they're the only words in this particular psalm because the psalm ends with basically, I've got no friends. Everybody's left. And the only, only thing I've got left for comfort is darkness. But um, if we relay that into our thinking, and we discussed this actually in a, a prayer session last night, that this t- kind of thinking is still around. You mentioned in John 9, 2 and 3 that the disciples asked Jesus about this man who was born blind, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. And the answer of Jesus was neither. So... Even though Psalm 88 is, it is, I've read it over and over and over again, it can actually be, as you've put, inexplicable as to why the person who is lamenting here is is doing it in the way that he's doing it. But what I do see is that because he starts out by saying, O Lord God of my salvation, there is hope. There is hope that even though the rest of the psalm is very, very depressing. He's actually stating there is only one person who can help me, and that's you. Even though he doesn't verbalise it in the rest of the psalm, in the sense, well, he verbalises his complaint, but he doesn't say, Lord, please take it away. He he just um, explains to God how he's feeling. Have we ever been in that situation? I think it will probably all of us have been. Sometimes it almost seems as though there's a brick wall there when we're talking to God. But if we understand um, that he is all-powerful and that he He uh, can help, this is where another of the Psalms says, wait, I say on the Lord. I believe the waiting is the part that we need to learn. And um, in time, I believe God will make all things clear. Yes, you have a comment, Jerry. Yes, just picking up on what Brenton just said, that uh, God in time, in his own time, will make all things clear. The thought occurred to me from Isaiah uh, chapter 55, where it says um, in verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, yes. nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Uh, I think we would love to have um, answers straight away. We uh, would like to have a logical and reasonable response to the dilemma that we find ourselves in, and that's not always forthcoming. Uh, we have to come to a point, I believe, in our life, in our spiritual journey, where whatever the circumstances we find ourselves in, whatever is happening, uh, be it good, be it bad, we should um, reach a point where we know that God has not forsaken you. He's there with you. And we need to just keep our eyes on him. Stay focused and know that, uh, that God's love is not diminished. You know, it's the same. He's still there with you. 
no matter what is happening and just keep on trusting God and ultimately he will take you through that situation. Something to remember. Brenton? Yes, um, well, just just to uh, reflect on someone in the New Testament other than Jesus who, who had this um, mindset, if you will, Acts chapter 16 refers to Paul and Silas being severely beaten and put in prison. Now, this would have been the inner prison, <laughs> not the outer prison. It would have been dark, cold, and probably with very little light. What were they doing? They were singing. They were singing hymns. I think that's uh, something that we can keep in mind. In my own uh, life, I have now started to incorporate, when things are going really bad, a time of singing. As you know, I like singing, and some of us do like singing, and um, I've tried to incorporate that into when things are going really, really dark. Uh, singing, just praising God. And uh, I think Paul's a very good example of that. Yes, we need to sing not only in the shower, hey, Brenton. <laughs> not only sing in the shower. More the day. <laughs> <laughs> Joe. It's interesting that, even though they felt really despondent and depressed about their situation, God did not want them to feel that way. In fact, he sent a letter. This is possibly digressing, but does give us a little bit of background information. God has sent them a letter from Jeremiah saying, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem mm-hmm. to Babylon. And it goes on. Yeah. Build houses and settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your children, it goes on. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile and pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And it goes on. Um, do not listen to um, any prophets that say you won't be here for long. No, they're lying. Um, basically, you are, when the 70 years of completed, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Mm-hmm. And it fin- finishes um, in 14, I will gather you from all nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring, bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So basically, this is a very hopeful message. It's saying, look, I, you know, there's no need to wallow in self-pity and be depressed. I want you to make the best of this situation. And I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you in this new place that you feel so uncomfortable, where you are so unhappy at the moment. Make the best of it, and I will be there with you, making you prosper as well. So I think it's something that um, when we are in a hard place, we need to keep that in the back of our minds, that um, God does not wish us to to be despondent. Absolutely. You know, and wallow in it and, 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 uh, dread it and moan and groan and complain. So I know it's hard not to, but this is God's will. Um, and in this situation, God only wanted them to prosper. Yes. And learn from their mistakes. Absolutely. So Nick. Yeah. I just want to, um, just clarify a couple of things here because we are talking today about singing God's song in a foreign land what is god's song because somebody may ask okay but what's god's song the foreign land we may easily say okay that represents sinful 
places or, you know, we are on this foreign land, sinful world, even though we may like as Australians to sing the uh, blessed Southland, you know, <laughs> but we are in a foreign land, sinful land. What is the song of God to be able to sing it? That's my question. But in my understanding, the song of God, which we are invited to sing, is the deliverance song. God delivers us, no matter where we are, if we trust in him. Remember Moses' song or other songs in the Bible, songs of deliverance. That's why we are, we are invited to praise God because he's delivering us, even though we may go through some difficult situations, like the psalmist portrays it. But we have that hope in God. And let's sing that one clear and loud, that God is our deliverer. Well said, Nick. Well said, Len. Yes, I'd like to look at another aspect of this. I realize that we all have ups and downs in our lives, and some of the downs can be bigger than some of the ups. But in 1 Timothy chapter 6, the Apostle Paul makes a charge to Timothy, and I think this can apply to all of us too. He says, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So despite the downs, the charge that was given to Timothy, and I think it's the same thing for us, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life no matter what situation we are in. This is what we should be doing, not just uh, considering all the terrible things that might have happened to us. We've just lost a good friend. She died of cancer, but she died in the hope of eternal life. And I think we should keep this uppermost in the mind, not, not gaze at our own navel, so to speak, but keep our eyes on Jesus despite whatever happens to us. Yes. Joe? Another thing to keep in mind is a quote that I found from Mark Twain, and, and he said, I've had a lot of worries in my life, most of which never happened. And so um, <laughs> sometimes we can actually make our difficult times worse by yeah. um, embellishing them in our minds. Yes. Well, I think that we have really expanded on that we could be happy and could be mm. joyful and hopeful in the midst of trouble. You know, it has seemed incongruous to us sometimes that trouble and suffering can actually lead to praising our Heavenly Father, as Jerry has said and as Nick has said especially if one considers the conditions that some of the psalmists describe, and it's pretty pertinent stuff. They describe their trial by fire, and I wonder before we pass to the pass over to the positive promises, if we could quickly list, panel, some of their extreme situations, and let's use the words of the psalmists themselves. Nick? 
Yes, well, indeed, uh, in Psalms, yeah, as I mentioned before, we can have um, many good passages to look at and to be encouraged, even though they may sound sometimes negative. I just like to open the Bible in Psalms 42 and just to read a couple of verses there. I'm living from a New Living Translation and it says here, as the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go? and stand before him. Day and night, I have only tears for food, while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, Where is your God? Where is this God of yours? You see, we may face that difficulty when uh, even can be mocked or discouraged by even loved ones. Where is your God? And we can only remember again the experience of Job. But through these situations, it's always good to understand that God leads us to the streams of water, to the living water, and to be refreshed. May God help us all. While I'm just talking about this um, uh, will, if I could just uh, mention to our listener the offer which we have for today, because we we'll love you, my dear friend listening, to learn more about the living God. And we have a book here entitled What the Bible Says About. It's a compilation of over 30 studies by Loni Melashenko, and that will guide you into learning more about what the Bible has to say. You just need to send us a text message to 0482093883. And the code for this book, it's SABS3. SA stands for South Australia, BS for Bible study, number three, added there. Don't leave any space in between them, and our friendly robot will take you through. Again, the number where you can send a text is 0482098883. Another take on uh, from the psalmists, why God doesn't end this suffering. Um, Brenton, you want to talk on that? Well, Psalm 69.3, Will says, I am weary with my crying, my throat is dry, my eyes fail while I wait for my God. I believe he's um, in deep distress here. In fact, this is one of the most quoted of all the Psalms in regard to trouble, along with Psalm 22 and another of the Psalms. What's interesting about this is it's describing his physical state as he's going through uh, these situations. When we're in trouble, severe trouble, it can affect our health. I think most of us here would agree that uh, it can affect our health. We've we've looked at all sorts of aspects of this so far today, but I'd like to counter Psalm 69.3 by reading Psalm 69 verse 13. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, in the acceptable time, 
O Lord, in the multitude of your mercy. So whilst he's physically sick as a result of the experience that he's going through, which I believe was when he was being pursued by Saul, I think we fail to realize, Will, that Saul pursued him for four years and then he spent another four years in Ziklag before Saul was finally killed at Gilboa. So for a total of eight years, he was being mercilessly hounded by by Saul who was seeking his life. And Psalm 69 bears that out. But verse 13, I find comforting. He recognizes that God can help him. And I'm sure when he came to the throne, he must have thought back on these situations that he'd been through and how God had rescued him from all of them. Yes, good counsel there. You know, it's hard for us sometimes in the place of darkness and yes. illness and suffering to uh, see the promise beyond, isn't it, uh, Brenton? In uh, Psalm 102, you're not sure who actually wrote this psalm, but it goes like this, Hear my prayer, O Lord, let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me when I'm in distress. Turn your ear to me when I call. Answer me quickly, for my days vanish like smoke. My bones burn like glowing embers. My heart is blighted and withered like grass. I forget to eat my food. Here he's describing himself as an emotional mess, very distressed. He he doesn't even keep track of time. He says, my days just vanish like smoke. Yes. And he says, I forget to eat my food. I remember once when I fell in love for the first time, I lost my appetite. Probably this has happened to most of you too. <laughs> but also when you are in deep distress, you can also lose your appetite. And this is what happened here. Yes, here's a man distressed, felt avoided by God, hurt, without the will to live, yet at the end of the psalm he praises God and says, yes, God, I realize you've never changed. It's me. I'm the one who's a mess. You're the same. You're the same loving God that I knew before. That's really something to remember, Len, despite the mess behind it. Or over it all is a God of love and justice and, and understanding. Joe? Psalm 102, verse 6 and 7. Before I read it, here, here is a very emotional expression of the way he is feeling. Yes. And some may have felt like this. So I'll just read it and see if anyone can, can relate to this. I am like a desert owl, like an owl among the ruins. I lie awake. I have become like a bird alone on a roof. I believe this describes the isolation that he feels, a solitary figure in a desert, perhaps in the midday heat, no shelter, no one to comfort or acknowledge his pain, perhaps even slowly perishing in the heat, feeling separated from God in his isolation. And unlike the owl, he doesn't feel that this is his home. He is restless. He lies there awake tossing and turning, unable to find rest or sleep, but likens himself to a lone bird perched motionless on a roof, forlorn and friendless. Now, some some may be going through this right now, but this is not the case. 
because God never leaves anyone alone who call yeah. upon him. Well said, Joe. The reason why we're reading these experiences of the psalmists, dark circumstances indeed, is simply because many of us do find ourselves in uh, in that type of trouble sooner or later. And it's good, as Nick has said, to see beyond the hope that God does offer us. Jerry. Yes, going back to Psalm 69, and, and Brenton already read uh, verse 3. I'd like to read it from the clear word paraphrase again. It is a cry of distress, an urgent plea for help in trouble. And it says here, save me, O God. Troubles like waters are up to my neck. I'm in mud and sinking fast. No solid ground is under my feet. I'm in deep water with waves sweeping over my head and pushing me under. I'm exhausted from weeping. My throat is parched from crying for help. You know, it, it occurred to me that um, just because you choose to follow God and become a Christian, it doesn't mean that everything will be smooth sailing from there on. It's true. Inde- indeed, um, I would suggest that being a Christian is not for the faint-hearted. If anything, the devil will make sure, as far as he's concerned, that you'll be discouraged, that you'll, that, you know, that you'll try to lose your grip on the God whom you love. And, uh, and we have to be strong in the faith and recognize, you know, we can be in deep trouble as Christians, but we should always and eventually, hopefully, rotate back to not focus on the problem or the situation, the distress we're fo- facing, but rather the God who can get us out of that situation. That's the challenge. Yes. Your view on that, Branton? Very quickly, Will. <laughs> How we handle these situations, I believe, is a witness to those around us, not only in the church, but also elsewhere. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, all right, we've, we've looked at some distressing scenarios, but... That's not where it stays for the Christian. Let's take examples from the psalmists. What do they do to restore their confidence? Len? Well, Psalm 69, verse 13 says, But, this is but, instead of all these problems and dwelling on the problems, he says, But I pray to you, O Lord. This should be our experience too. We might be in deep trouble. But I pray to you, O Lord. Yes, prayer is the answer, Joe. From the same Psalm 69, verses 5 to 6. You, God, know my folly. My guilt is not hidden from you. Lord, the Almighty, the Lord Almighty, may those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me. God of Israel, may those who seek you not be put to shame because of me. Nothing is hidden from God's eyes, and the psalmist is aware that God knows. God knows everything. His main concern is that his own poor example would not be a stumbling block for others seeking God. And we might all pray this prayer each day. I think it would be valuable. Jerry? Yes, again, from Psalm 69, verses 7 and 9, it says, For your sake... I am willing to endure scorn 
and ridicule and live with undeserved shame. But my zeal for your house is eating me up. What hurts you hurts me. And we see that in in reality, don't we, when we hear people deriding Christianity, ridiculing the whole idea that there is a loving God and Saviour. That hurts when you hear that because you want to take up God's cause and defend him. Well, the comment is he is sure that God will not remain silent forever. Uh, Psalm 69 has been quoted uh, quite um, regularly here in this particular study, but um, I'd like to just look at verse 33 to 35. For God will save Zion and build the cities of Judah that they may dwell there and possess it. There are some key action words in verse 35 and 36. The words are dwell and inherit. Both of those suggest that God will not be silent forever. And I also refer to Psalm 42, verse 5, where it talks about why is my soul cast down? I will yet praise him. So whilst there's that depression, that immediate sense of hopelessness and helplessness, there's also somehow or another a glimmer of light that breaks through the dark picture. And the dark picture is I will yet praise him. So God will not remain silent forever. I'm reminded of the, what happened in the book of Revelation. You know it as well as I, the souls crying under the altar. How long, O oh Lord, before you avenge our blood? It's going to happen. God has promised it. And we can trust that as 100% likely. What an assurance, yes. You know, honestly, through years of ministry, I've, I wonder whether we've ever shared or shared comfort psalms to help. Psalms of help and protection, but we kind of do it tongue-in-cheek. For example, Psalm 91, which promises unfailing help, when at the same time it appears that thousands are actually perishing and uh, the evidence of response from heaven is far from coming. This is difficult stuff. Oh, we don't have the answers, Brendan. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to try and summarize this because there's an awful lot of uh, material here. But one of the things that I think is that we need to share with our listeners and also amongst ourselves in order to understand the trials and troubles and tribulations that the psalmists are going through, we need to understand history. Now, for many people, history is a boring subject. I don't know how the panel felt about history when they were at school. I loved history. I always found history a very interesting subject. The history that I'm referring to in the scriptures, which is found in uh, Psalm 77, 7 to 9, where he talks about being forgotten, but then later on he talks about God has done wonders among the nations. He's talking about the Exodus. He's talking about the Exodus of Israel from Egypt and particularly the particularly their deliverance as they went through the waters of the Red Sea, where God delivered them from their enemies and destroyed their enemies. So if we are to hold on to something, we should study history. We should, I believe, will study history, biblical history, from the point of view of what has God done in the past? What were his mighty acts? And if he could do them back then, he will do them again now. And uh, we all know a statement, uh, most of us on the panel, that says we have nothing to fear for the future. 
except we forget the way the Lord has led us in our past dealings. Yes. Panel, thank you very much for all of your comments. I would lastly just like to ask, there's an interesting phrase in Psalm 77, verses 19, which I think deserves our attention. Do you want to comment on that, Len? I'd love to. Brenton was talking about the fact that Psalm 77 recounts the deliverance from Israel from Egypt. Verse 19 says, Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. Now, I'd like to just comment about this. God works in ways which we find sometimes remarkable. And I've had personal experiences where God had organized events way ahead and I had no idea it was happening. Listeners, God is working in in your life. He wants you to be saved. You may not perceive what he's been doing, but remember this. God is working. You mightn't see it, but he wants you to be saved. His footprints were not seen in that uh, example I read from Psalm 77, and you mightn't see it, but he's working. He wants you to be saved. I think it's good for us to remember that for everyone that is in trouble, in this context, the context of what you've just read, Len, in every difficulty, God has a way of preparing for our relief and that our Heavenly Father has a thousand ways to provide for us of which we know nothing. Yes, Jo. There's a beautiful thought I'd like to share. The Lord's merciful kindness is great toward us. He will never leave nor forsake those who trust in him. You who feel that you are entering upon a dark path and like the captives in Babylon must hang your harps upon the willows, let us make a practice of praising God in song. You may say, how can I sing with this dusk? dark prospect before me with this burden of sorrow and bereavement upon my soul when we bring our petitions to the throne of grace let us not forget to offer also anthems of thanksgiving the eternal life of our savior provides us with a constant cause for gratitude and praise this came from selected messages that's so encouraging joe i think it's a good time for us to just spend a little time in prayer Remembering that not only ourselves, but our listeners and our friends do have difficulty sometimes that they just can't see the light through the darkness. Take hope that God ultimately understands and will bring redemption, as Brenton has said. So, would you pray for us? Heavenly Father, You are the source of all life, all hope and joy, and the closer we are to you, the more we will share in these. Help us to fix our eyes on you, even though we might feel that the world around us is crashing. Our problems and woes are just for a season, a short time. They too shall pass. We must remember that all our suffering is temporary, and when compared to what you have planned for each of us, our present grief and difficulty will only be a tiny blip on the spectrum by comparison. 
help each and every person on the panel and listening in be assured that you are there for them, that you have wonderful things in store and that we might all reach up and take hold of your hand today, right now, and not be overwhelmed by the strange place we might be experiencing today. We have read such wonderful things in Scripture and would like to be well, I'd like to accept these promises, Lord, not to look at the problems, but what you can do and are doing for us all. Yes. We can all leave um, all this in your care now and rejoice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, thank you so much, uh, everyone on the panel. I'm pretty sure that uh, each one of you would have, have more things to say and even maybe share some of your experiences and testimonies how God delivered you in times of trouble. My dear friend listening today, the temptation always is there when we go to tough times, difficulties, to walk away from God, the one who can only help in times of trouble. I'm encouraging you today, to take these examples from these beautiful examples of men and women of the Bible when they put their trust in God no matter what. You know, faith, it's a profound trust in the things you don't see or you don't understand at times. I'm encouraging you to allow God to take you through to all the different difficulties you may have in life. I'm also encouraging you to ask for the book which we have uh, provided for you. It's a gift from us and it's called What the Bible Says About. And there are many things in the Bible which we can find answer to. This book, it's yours. If you send us a text message with the code S-A-B-S-3. S-A stands for South Australia, B-S for Bible study, number three. And the phone number, it's 0482-09-888-3. Next time, I believe will be a wonderful study because we are going to talk about I will rise. Until then, may God richly bless you and Keep your eyes on Jesus and walking into his footsteps.